So uh, this morning in this Intentional Faith series, we're going to be talking about taking your faith home. And that's an interesting word, that word home. Now, uh, I think it has a lot of different kinds of meanings for different people when we hear that and we interpret it in different ways. So I've kind of, through the weekend, I've been asking people, when I say the word home, what do you think of? And, and I'll need you to say it loud enough for me to hear it because Frank tells me I'm not supposed to walk out there because uh, then I'll go off the camera stuff. So, uh, and our folks at home won't get to, to hear what you say. So uh, when I say the word home, what, what does that make you think of? Family, your daughter, house, dog, website, what? Belonging, hometown, love, safe, comfort. I heard another one over here. Anybody else? Cats. Safety, silliness, husband, that's kind of like cats, <laughs> lay around, sleep a lot, you know, leave hair on everything, so, others, wife, I'm sorry, what was that, frogs, right, okay, happiness, Parents, cooking, cooking security, security over, family, chaos. chaos. <laughs> now, that, 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 I think that's spoken by someone with young children in the house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And uh, when I think about home, uh, you know, Cindy and I, we've, you know, we've lived in Austin more years than we've lived anywhere else. We've lived in the Austin metro, metro area. But, you know, she was a, a, an Army kid, and so, you know, she was in Kansas and Kentucky and upstate New York before her dad uh, was posted in San Antonio. And, uh, and, and then she was in San Antonio. He retired there from the, the base there. Uh, but she thinks of San Antonio as her home, even though she's actually lived here longer than that. And I've lived here longer than anywhere else in my life. Although I, I was born in Victoria, Texas, and then we moved to Corpus Christi and, and fit, went to school in Georgetown and then to Denver before I came back here. So, you know, it's interesting that, that even though this is the place we've actually lived the longest, I think of Corpus's home. She thinks of San Antonio's home. She doesn't think of Corpus's home because it's too humid. I'm sorry. You just can't stand that. But, but you know, I mean, so it's interesting the way we kind of attach different things to it. And then, uh, you know, last summer, some of you know, we, we moved last summer into a different house. Uh, we're like three miles away from where our other one was. And, and we moved into there. And it's interesting that, you know, you move in and you settle in and how quickly that begins to feel like home. Because that's where our things are and that's where she is. Uh, for me. So uh, home is one, it's an interesting kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes we get very nostalgic about home and kind of almost treacle kind of sweet about home, sweet home and all those kinds of things. And we have all those wonderful memories of stuff that actually never happened. Right. You know, although, you know, did you ever watch Leave it to Beaver or any of that kind of stuff? You know, anybody's house actually like that? No. I mean, you know, I mean, but, but and, in a, and if you're of a certain age, home might have different kinds of meanings. Uh, if you grew up in a certain period, you might think of Leonard Skinner and uh, Sweet Home Alabama, right? Yeah, okay, somebody over here, yeah. Or, or, or if you're, uh, you know, kind of a movie fantasy buff, you might think of 
E.T. phone home, right? Some of you there. Uh, those of you who are John Denver kind of fans will think of Country Roads, Take Me Home. Uh, if you're more of a literary kind of person, you'll think of Thomas Wolfe, You Can't Go Home Again, uh, the novel and that play that came out of that. And if you're in Austin, really, in Austin, if you've been in Austin for any length of time, you ought to think of Jerry Jeff Walker and I Want to Go Home to the Armadillo, right? London Homesick Blues, yeah, okay, so... Home has a lot of different meanings uh, for us in different kinds of ways. And, but the, the question is really, you know, this morning is, is your home a place where your faith is being fed and grounded and, and expressed? Or, or is your faith only something that you take outside and show to other people? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you're, you're here in the midst of us and teaching us and guiding us. So uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in Luke's gospel, Jesus teaches. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know, so often uh, we tend to think of good and evil as things that are out there. You know, we encounter something out there that's good or evil. And what Jesus says actually is, is here's the thing, you know, it, it's the good and evil in here is where you, you need to focus first because it, it is out of the goodness or the evil of your heart that goodness and evil flows out through your mouth and, and also through your actions and your relationships. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but where you, you've had a disagreement with someone over something or another and you, you think you've all got it settled and everything and then you're talking with them and the next thing you know you're yelling at them because you really haven't settled the disagreement, have you? No, you're deep down inside, you're still mad at them. And before you know it, it's coming out of you. Have you ever had that experience where, where the words come out of your mouth and as they're coming out, you're thinking, oh my gosh, why am I saying this? Because there's a pain or, or an anger or a resentment in your heart that is just coming out. And when we talk about intentional faith, what we're talking about is, is those practices and working on making it possible for God to fill us with the love and the goodness that God wants to flow out of our lives. I love Randy, perfect pick, Zach Williams. I mean, first, I enjoy Zach Williams, but, but, but I love that. You know, just, just a little more of Jesus and a little less of me. I mean, really? Could you pray anything better than that? I mean, it's just uh, so much of, of, of what we need to be about and what we need to be praying. Uh, this is a survey that was done. Uh, this is from about 2012, so it may have changed a little bit with the pandemic. But it was looking at an average work day for people who are employed 25 to 54 and have children in the home. Uh, and so, you know, it shows off, you know, one of the big blocks is sleeping, 7.6 hours. I doubt that. But anyway, uh, if you've got children in the home, yeah, good luck. Uh, working and related activities is 8.6 hours. That, that's the biggest block. Those two are the majority of your day. The next biggest block is leisure and sports. And then there's household activities at 1.1 hours and eating and drinking at 1.1 hours, which tells me this was not a Texas person because there would be more time eating. Um, 
I'm serious. Uh, and, and then caring for others, 1.2 hours, and other, 1.8 hours. And you notice on there, nowhere on there is anything about faith. So I'm assuming that, that when they do this, that people, that's that other little blue slice, light blue slice up there, that 1.8 hours, is, is where that, that happens. And, and so we spend this small amount of time on, on something, and we, we wonder why more goodness and love is not flowing out of us. So in the history of the church, one of the places, uh, in, in Judeo-Christian church, uh, one of the places where faith has been developed, strengthened, nurtured has been in the home. I mean, that's, that's early on. You know, early on in the, in the history of the Hebrews, I mean, that was the only place there was. I mean, they were, they were Hebrews were wanderers, nomads. That's what the word means. And, and, and they had their tents that they traveled in and, and they taught in their families. This is where faith was nurtured and where it was practiced. Uh, and so that's kind of how it, it began. Uh, during the Exodus, you know, you have the tabernacle that travels with them in the presence of God where worship takes place, and that eventually translates into the temple in Jerusalem, which is where worship took place in the time of Jesus. Now, the synagogues were places for teaching. You, you learned and you were taught there, but worship took place in the temple in Jerusalem. And then in 70 AD, the Romans sacked the temple and destroyed it, and it's never been rebuilt. And since that period of time, the locus of worship for the Hebrews first was in their families because that's how they had to keep the faith. That's where they kept the faith alive was within their family units and in their homes. And then it began to develop in the synagogues. And, and early worship in the synagogues and early worship in the Christian church look a lot alike because a lot of those families were all part of the same connection. You know, they were all one big family together. And some of them were still Jewish and some had become Christian. And so those, those forms look similar. It's interesting to me that when you, when you look at the history of Israel, uh, the events, you know, you have the, the time when God calls Abram, but then you have this time of famine. They go, they go to Egypt. And what we forget sometimes is when, when the Exodus occurred and the people came out of Egypt, some of the Jewish people remained behind in Egypt. In fact, the, the second oldest synagogue we know of is in Cairo. But, but some of the people came out of Egypt, stayed back in Egypt and, and planted the seeds of faith there. Some of them came back to the Holy Land. And then there was the exile and they were taken into to Babylon and Persia and, and and, and when they came back to Jerusalem from there, some of them remained behind and planted the seeds of faith there. And, and, and then at the time when the Roman temple, I mean, when the Romans sacked the temple, they were scattered around, a lot of them around the Mediterranean, and, and, and began planting seeds of faith there. It's called the diaspora, the scattering of God's people, planting the seeds of faith all around the world. Those cataclysmic events that God used to spread the faith. And, and as they scattered in the same way in the, in the Christian church, as they scattered around the world, the original place that faith was practiced most powerfully was in the home. And over time, we've, we've kind of lost that. I mean, we, we've gotten to where we think that the only place we, have, we practice our faith is when we come into a building like this. And we come into worship or we go to Sunday school or we go to a Bible study. And it all happens in, in, in this kind of contained space. And the places in the world when we look out across the world, the places in the world where, where Christianity is just exploding and growing like crazy are all places where they have not forgotten to nurture faith in the home. 
about five years ago now, I think, a group of us got, uh, were lucky. We got to go to Cuba. And we got to worship in one of the Casas Cultos, which is uh, the house churches of Cuba. And, and the church we went to in, in uh, San Antonio, Cuba, uh, it was the second church in Cuba to get a permit to have an actual building uh, that they could worship in. So we went down to help them kind of remodel this building and work on it. Uh, but in the meantime, there were 16 house churches that were part of this bigger church that all continued to meet. So there was always at least two of them meeting on any given night of the week because Wednesday night was the prayer meeting night when the church came together and Sunday was worship. So the, the other five days of the week, there were always at least two of them meeting. And we got to go with several of them. And, and they gathered in, in people's homes. This is where they worshiped. They had times where they had songs, they had plays that they had written themselves. They had somebody, usually whoever was the owner of the home, would get up and actually give a little short Bible lesson. Uh, they would pray with one another. And it was powerful. It was powerful to see how God was moving in all those places. And, and I can't help but wonder when I come back here, you know, mm, we, we seem to be losing that vitality because we, we, we've kind of lost that connection of understanding that, you know, our home is supposed to be a place where we are honoring God too. Matter of fact, we have this attitude a lot of times in the States where we say, you know, what I do in the privacy of my own home is my business. Not your business, it's my business. And, and we kind of segregate that out. And we think that, well, okay, when we get home, we're not answerable to anyone. The only problem is, as Jesus teaches, uh, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he teaches about prayer, he says, don't go out in the public and pray and make a big show of it where everybody sees you. But, but when you pray, you know, pray in, in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, God knows everything we do. And, and even in the privacy of our home, God longs to pour his goodness into us. And we too often begin to think that our home is the place where we get away from everything, sometimes including our faith. I mean, Dwight Moody would, would say, you know, character is, is what you are. Come on, Dwight. Is what you are in the dark when nobody can see. Characters, what you are in the dark. And yet, it's in that place in our homes where Christ longs to meet us and God longs to pour that goodness and love into our hearts that then can flow out from there into the rest of the world. Now, I want to be really clear. This model of, of nurturing faith in the home has always been there, but we're not the first ones to struggle with it. When the people of Israel got to the promised land, uh, one of the things that God pointed out to him is, you guys, y'all are still carrying those gods, those Egyptian house gods with you. Now, see, in Egypt, they used to have these little house gods. They'd put them by the doorway, and, and you'd you know, go out. When you went out, you, you'd ask the, the little house god to protect you. But the house god's main job was to bless the house. So when you came in, you, know, you, you, you asked them to bless your house and protect your house and everything, little statuettes that they would have just inside the door. They weren't made of precious metals normally, so they didn't have any extreme value. Uh, but when, when Israel left Egypt, you know, they took a lot of things out of their owners' homes with them. Some of those were of great value, but some of them... These, these little house gods, these little statues, and they carried them with them for 40 years through the desert. Now, I, I'm at the point in life when I take a long trip somewhere, meaning more than two hours or so, 
You know, I, I'm thinking, you know, what do I not have to take? Because whatever I have to take, I'm going to have to schlep it in and out of the car or onto the, you know, onto the, the conveyor belt. Or if you travel overseas, you're going to be in places that, you know, where you have to haul them upstairs and downstairs and all this. So I'm, I'm trying to think, what do I not have to take? How light can I go? Because I don't want to haul any more than I want have to haul. But the Israelites hauled these gods across the desert for 40 years. Which tells you something about how much they valued them. And God knew, God knew that the Israelites had these little house gods competing with him. And so he speaks to them through Joshua. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So, uh, yeah, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And do we ever have any false gods or in our house that we're worshiping? Do we ever have any little gods that we kind of have on the side? You know, maybe the God of, of putting a lot of hours in and working really hard. Maybe the God of uh, checking to be sure how the stock market did and our accounts are doing. Maybe the gods of this diet or that diet or the gods of this fitness craze or that fitness craze. Maybe the gods of all that stuff that we can stream in on the cable or stream in on the internet and watch that we wouldn't want anybody to know we're watching. Maybe all that stuff that Amazon will deliver right to our door. I mean, how many little false gods do we have? Maybe the, maybe the false god of being so busy with church work that you don't have time for Jesus. You know, one of the hazards for those of us who do ministry is that our ministry becomes a job and our faith becomes a job and then we don't want to take it home with us. What are the false gods in your household and what do you do with them? In, in, in the chapter in the book when Alan's talking about this, uh, he talks about his family and how his family always made a practice when they came in in the afternoon. They, they always made a practice to have an evening dinner. And they always sat down together and they always compared notes with each other about, you know, how was your day and what was going on? And they prayed together and the, his parents would turn off the television and do Bible devotions and Bible study and devotions in the evenings and all that. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, that's not my household. Was it yours? Yeah, that's, that's not the house I grew up in. You know, my mother lost her dad when she was six and was raised to a large extent by her sisters for many years. My dad was an illegitimate child in Appalachia and grew up without really much faith grounding of any kind. They got married after World War II. He was 30, she was 18, one year out of high school. And when he married my mother, what he didn't realize was it was a package deal. Her mother came with her. 
And my dad was about halfway in age. He was about halfway between my mother and my grandmother, which probably made some really interesting dynamics, I suspect. But in the house I grew up in, I think my grandmother was raising my parents as well as my sister and I. Because it was my grandmother that was really the, the one that would do the Bible study and would do the devotions. And she was the one that insisted that we pray. And it was interesting that when my grandmother actually finally passed away, my mother kind of took that role on as the matriarch and the leader of the family. And then it was my mother who, who would lead us in a lot of that. But she had had to learn that. And, and my mother and I had a really interesting relationship for many years of our lives because uh, it was kind of a love-hate kind of thing because I, I, I think that our personalities were so much alike that it was really hard for us to occupy the same space together. And so it, it really wasn't until we got older and I grew up enough, and I think she grew up some, but I think I had the majority of it, uh, that, that we learned how to be together without being in conflict. So that complicated things too. But coming out of that and coming out of that, that raising with that grandmother who was there in the background planting the seeds in my brain, you know, okay, you know, you're supposed to pray and you're supposed to read Bible, you're supposed to do these things. And then kind of establishing my own household at one point with my wife Cindy. And my wife was all in and ready to do whatever it was then we begin to think about how, how do we do our home. Now, I'm going to tell you, you, you start with the simple stuff. You know, if, you're, if your home's like mine and, and we grew up, I mean, if you'd walked into my house when I was a kid, you would have thought the first thing that was important was academics. Because when we came home, that was the first thing. You know, you do your homework before you do anything else. And the second thing was work. You work hard, you work long hours. So from the time I was... 14 on, I always had a job. From the time I was 16 on, I was working full-time and going to school full-time. Which doesn't leave a lot of time for Bible devotions, incidentally. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, Alan makes it sound like it's pretty easy. I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy. And you start where you start. So for Sunday night, we started with, we're going to pray before meals. We're going to pray before every meal. We're even going to pray before meals in public at restaurants, which sometimes embarrass my children terribly, especially when we sang Forest Preschool Prayer. I think Ashley would want to get under the table. So, and, you know, that's understandable, I think. But, but, but then to do that and then to, to start getting up early enough to do devotions in the mornings before the day took off and everything happened. You know, to start building that practice and to think about how are we doing things in our home that, that actually honor God? And the challenge for this is, is that each one of us has to look at our own home, and all of our homes are different, and all of our backgrounds are different. So Alan's going to challenge us and, and, frankly, challenges me. and says, you know, behind closed doors, when no one's looking, are you honoring the Lord? If not, what are the things that distract you, that keep you from living a life aligned with God's heart? In your journal, make an honest list of the distractions, then commit to eliminating them. And if you've read that like I did the first time, I went, oh yeah, we're supposed to do a journal. Right? 
Make a list. Commit to eliminating them. What would your husband, wife, child, or parent say about the life you live in secret? Would they say you do your best to honor the Lord or that your private life is not aligned with the expression of your faith? Make a sincere assessment. And if you haven't been honoring God in the home, talk with your spouse, family members, friends about the changes that you should make. Repent of the times you haven't honored God in your home, the times you've ignored God, the times you've lost your temper or lashed out, or the time you've allowed things into your home that you shouldn't have. And then choose to protect your home from anything that dishonors God. Offer a simple prayer each day as you come home from work or school. God, may you be glorified in my home tonight, and may I live with integrity. God, be glorified in my home tonight. May I live with integrity in this home. And then in your journal, list three ways you can be intentional about teaching your children or maybe your parents or maybe your siblings or maybe your grandparents or maybe your friends to honor God in your home and do these things for the next 100 days. And as you're about that, continue for the next 100 days the reading plan of scripture that we began last week that Thomas introduced to you. And if you don't have them, the bookmarks are, are at the welcome air, uh, desk in the gathering area. And this is also online from the church's website. And you can download the PDF. You can actually download the schedule onto your calendar. And it will automatically pop up every day and tell you what you're supposed to read, which if you're like me is very helpful. Uh, just to have it tell me, okay, this is what you're supposed to read today. Uh, and it lists the, the readings for each day. And then there's some questions uh, to go with that. Uh, just to, as you read that, think, you know, what's happening in this passage? What does it teach me about God, myself, and how to follow God? Is God saying something to me here? And if so, what is it? And how can this scripture become part of my life? And then pray. And then pray. God wants to pour God's goodness. God wants to pour God's love uh, into our hearts and into our life and then through us out into the world. And the challenge for us is to create space for that to happen. And the challenge this week is to think about how to do that in your home so that God's goodness can move through you out into the world. And let us pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks for your great love. You look on us, you see the household gods that we have carried with us. You see the ways that we have chosen to, to act in less than honorable ways in our home. And yet your love remains steadfast with us. And you continue to be with us and to lead us and guide us. So, so come and give us wisdom, uh, give us discernment, uh, help lead us in our understanding and give us courage to be honest about that, that we may have homes in which we honor you and we glorify you, places where, where our hearts are open and you can pour your goodness and love into us so that it can fill us and flow out in everything that we say and in everything that we do. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.